Thank you for tuning into White Centipede Noise Podcast. Please hit the like button and subscribe to this channel. This podcast is made possible by viewer and listener support. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider supporting it at patreon.com slash white centipede noise. White Centipede Noise is a label and mail order based in Germany, releasing top quality noise on tape, CD, and vinyl. White Centipede Noise is also the premier EU-based distributor of international noise. Visit whitecentipedenoise.com to see available label releases and weekly distro updates. Welcome to White Sammy Noise Podcast. My name is Oscar Brummel. Today, my guest is a guy who has been extremely active in the harsh noise underground from a very young age in numerous phases and incarnations. He is now very active as one of the most um, important and prolific harsh noise artists of the last several years five years, I would say. He's uh, made quite a wave. Um, without further ado, Will Van Gorder of Worth. Good to be here. Hi, Will. Good morning. Um, so you did an interview actually not too long ago um, in Special Interest Zine. So I would recommend everyone read that. I will actually probably be repeating some of those questions a bit, or at least touching on some of the things you already talked about there or were asked there, um, just because I think it would be cool to be able to elaborate on some things and, um, you know, give people who maybe didn't read that the chance to get that information too. And yeah, like I think that hopefully this platform will allow us to go into a little bit more detail with some things. So first of all, going back to your history, you, you've been, doing harsh noise, doing noise for a very long time since you were quite young. Um, your first noise project that I'm aware of was Other People's Children, which I think was at least in 2005 active, if not earlier. I'm not sure. How old were you at the time when you started this project and what, what led, you, led you to forming this noise project at that time? Uh, I'll preface by saying that I'm very poor with dates and, um, uh, remembering ages, but I must've been fifth. I, I think the earliest possible activity was 15. Uh, I couldn't tell you what that, what year that was. <laughs> sure. That's how disconnected I am from the past. But, uh, yeah, I think 15 was the earliest and I, I think I actually started by myself, um, even though I was very egged on by my friend. Uh, he 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 really like got me into noise. But when I first plugged in, I was by myself. Um, <clears throat> I think, yeah, and 
I, I, I think I mentioned in the special interests that this was right after listening to extreme music from Africa on Susan Lawley. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I also talk about another experience, which was like a drug experience of using like feedback loops. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't remember where, like the timeline of when that exactly happened. Um, sure. But yeah, I definitely remember like, uh, doing it on my own and just making a very crude feedback loop and it's just was atrocious and terrible, (laughs) but, uh, who was this friend and how did they get you into harsh noise? Cause 15 is quite young to even have the chance to discover this kind of music. Right. And I really owe it all to him because I mean, I, I had the mindset for it, but I didn't, I wasn't connected like he was. I, I don't know. He, he spent a lot of time on the internet and, uh, like on the Tronics board, like how do you find the Tronics board when you're 15? Like, I yeah. don't know. It's weird. But his name is Andrew Koshin. Mm-hmm. And he does a project called Pressage now. Yeah. And of course, you're familiar. Um, yeah. I didn't know that was him, though. I didn't know that was the guy. Yeah, this is the guy. There were other members as well. Um, and they were kind of. Um, you know, it started with Andrew and he influenced me. And then, you know, I sort of, we together got some of our other friends into it a little bit later. Uh, but yeah, you could definitely say that he and I were the core. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, you released stuff with that project on quite a few, like really cult, and important labels of the time, like Harsh Head Rituals, Tronics, uh, Triple R even, uh, Jerk Collective. How did you get in touch with those labels at that time and and share your material with them or, or get a chance to be released by them? Well, Jerk would have certainly been the first, right? Uh, we did a split with the Cherry Point. And that w- I know this was the first tape. We did some CDRs before that, but it's not the same as that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how we got in contact, I'm not exactly sure, but it must have been through a venue in Denver called Monkey Mania. That was ran by Josh Taylor of Friends Forever, mm-hmm. uh, and I definitely remember meeting mostly people from California. So it must have had something to do with this. Uh, yeah, maybe I know we played with the Yellow Swans a handful of times. Yeah. But, uh, but to have like guys like Dan Johansson of Harshhead Rituals reaching, or I mean, did you reach out to him or did he reach out to you in terms of like, um, you know, what, what, what made that connection, for example? I think that was Andrew. Okay. I, I think that he was much more savvy with the internet than I. Um, you know, he was, he would, he would chat 
with people um, and spend a lot of time on the internet. Uh, mm -hmm. I was more, I was stoked on that and he would relay a lot of information to me about this, but I don't think that I was the one, uh, I, you know, I was the one who went to the post office. He was the one who worked it out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. Were you guys running a label at that time or anything like that? Oh, we tried to, <laughs> uh, I guess we had some successes, but overall I would consider it a failure. Okay. And that's probably for reasons I, I, I won't go into. <laughs> okay. Yeah. This episode of White Sinope Noise podcast is brought to you by Skeleton Dust Records. Located in downtown Dayton, Ohio, Skeleton Dust Records has offered noise, experimental, and other underground music and beyond for the discerning listener since 2017. Stay tuned for new releases from Dayton noise artists Final Machine and Exclusion Zone, plus an essential reissue of Cosmic Noise from Japanese noise pioneer and incapacitance member Fumio Kosakai. You did quite a lot of touring in those days, too, and you've referenced uh, a kind of legendary story a number of times about running away from home and to play no fun fest and landing in jail. Can you tell me about what happened there? Okay. So that's actually two stories mixed into one. Okay. Which makes sense with the way, you know, stories go around. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we had a failed attempt at a tour before the no fun fest. No Fun Fest was the successful backlash at our parents where, you know, where previously we had tried to go on tour and gotten arrested in Utah. Wow. So no fun for what was if I may ask, um, <laughs> well, we, <laughs> we ran out of gas uh, and then we got arrested. <laughs> I don't know if the, our friend's stuff was legit on his truck. Uh, I think he said it was, I, I, I honestly don't know. I just know that next thing I knew, uh, you know, a cop was like strip searching me and looking at my butt for drugs and I had to like sleep on a cement slab and damn. Yeah. You know, um, it just felt so, really unnecessary. That was a separate time from the, from the running away from home thing. Well, we used no, to, no, no, that was the same time. Yeah. But then, so the following year we, we took greyhounds to, Red Hook to play no fun. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that time it was a success. Okay, cool. And was that as other people's children as well? Well, you won't see us on the roster or the lineup because we had to use like a, an alias to, so that we wouldn't be discovered by, Andrew's like, I think his father was our main concern that he might like Google us constantly. Wow. Yeah. 
what what was the reason for your families being so against what you were doing? Um, well, I mean, that's almost like a whole other question. Uh, I mean, it's just they just didn't want us being, you know, just normal parent stuff. They didn't want us yeah. in another state without any supervision, you know? Yeah. Um, okay. it was just a little too soon, you know, if it was a couple yeah. of years later, you know, I, I hit the road, I was out of there and I was all over the place. Yeah. But at that point, you know, we were under 18, so that's just how it goes. How did your family respond to your noise activities in general at that time? Well, <laughs> uh, mostly negatively, obviously. Well, not mm -hmm. obviously. I mean, I'm sure some people have parents who, you know, can get into this or something. But yeah, it was mostly negatively, but obviously it wasn't to the point that it, it didn't really like prevent us. That's why okay. I say it was like two different questions. Sure. You know, um, it's one thing to let your kids roam around the country and another thing to let them <clears throat> like, bang on a trash can in your basement. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, so at some point, other people's children kind of transformed or transitioned to weak sisters. Was that a hard split or was that like uh, just you going solo? Uh, you know, we were young it's, <clears throat> it's, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't mean like, was there some sort of breakup or something like that, but I mean like other people's children was like the group strictly, right? You weren't doing really solo stuff there. And then weak sisters was like you doing stuff on your own. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Cause there was like, like, it seemed like weak sisters was also, releasing stuff around 2005, kind of like around the same window of time that other people's children was also active. So, so that's pretty the, much the only like strict um, difference there, right? Yeah. It was something that I could do by myself without feeling like I had to include anyone else because mm -hmm. a lot of the times with OPC, you know, even if I worked on something on my own, you know, I had to kind of sometimes uh, egg the other guys on to be like, yo, you need to be a part of this, you know? Sure. But yeah, you sort of drifted apart. Okay. You know, with all, all sorts of things, but sure. Yeah. And Andrew Koshin, um, he's been 
somewhat active in the past several years with Presage. You know, he put out the tape Feral Heart, which caught my attention um, quite suddenly. And I don't know how I found out about it, maybe through you or maybe he actually he contacted me, I think. But um, and then he did a release on White Side Every Noise. But he hasn't been super active in that, you know, probably 15 year period between other people's children and Presage, to my knowledge. Do you know a bit about that, about that trajectory? Well, um, I don't think he ever really stopped liking noise. He just wasn't in a, you know, a situation where he could continue doing it. Uh, but he's, he's, I mean, I've always, I constantly talk to him about music, uh, all kinds of music throughout that whole time for the most part, you know, yeah. um, uh, he's a rough guy. Uh, you know, he can, he can go through some serious turbulence. So I'm, I'm glad that he's making stuff now. And, yeah. uh, yeah. And you guys have been collaborating again recently. Is that true? Um, yeah, a little bit. Uh, <clears throat> there's the self abuse tape that I asked him for a little help on. So, but it's, it's one track on the A side that he contributes to. I basically told him, uh, I want this to sound like uh, STEM, S-T-E-G-M. I say STEM. I think that's right. Yeah. That's it. Um, okay. But right now we're trying to collaborate on something for the uh, Worth Wince split. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I might end up just, uh, finishing it up on my own. Mm -hmm. Okay. Not sure right now. Coming soon on White Centipede Noise, K.M. Tupfer, Retrace No Steps CD. with weak sisters that was a very harsh project and i remember um sam mckinley of the rita writing somewhere i think on the tronics board or somewhere naming it as like one of the most important projects active right now and and i think also naming the tape specifically pura replica replica uh on trash ritual as like one of the most important harsh noise releases in contemporary, you know, in the past year or something like that. Were you, uh, did you notice this praise at that time? And how did you feel about it? Did you think it had an impact on, on the reception of the project or your approach to it? Well, uh, that's kind of news to me about Puerile Replica. I think that's a good tape, but I didn't know that he mentioned this one specifically. 
Uh, I but, might be wrong about that. I might be misquoting that, but oh, that's okay. Um, yeah. I, I know that there was some hype around that tape. I don't know mm-hmm. if it was Sam, but I I thought when he wrote this, he was responding to seeing me live. Uh, and I think this was in Seattle at Wooden Octopus Skull. Uh, and I think I delivered a good set there. And so um, to answer your question, uh, what I was mostly aware of was the the live scene and um, just like the very serious challenge of playing live at this time and touring extensively and just feeling a connection to like where you're playing, actually meeting these people that, you know, before are just sort of a part of your subconscious from like listening to their albums and just thinking like, who is this fucking person, you know, Mm -hmm. and then actually meeting them and then trying to just like, bring something live. And so I think that that was when, when I played with Sam in Seattle, um, that was a time that was a, that was a really good show. And that was a time that I was really able to execute something that was like very harsh and very, uh, primal and, um, just like junk noise, you know, like my shit isn't even working, but I'm just pulling out like, you know, the, highest tones I possibly can and yeah, whatnot. Yeah. Do you think having him or, or maybe not him specifically, but like other people, like you mentioned that you really like, um, respect or you're influenced by, and you're in contact with, do you think having them in the audience for that show, like, like gave you more of a, like an edge or more of like a battery to, to perform? Did you feel it at the time? Uh, certainly somewhat. I think it's more of a, an inner war than anything, but of course that it's influenced by who is around you at the time. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, because, you know, it could be, it could be anything. It could be not necessarily thinking about them watching you, but just like hearing the things that they say or just, you know, like processing who they are as people, you know, it, 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 it just sort of affects your psyche in a way, especially, Mm -hmm. you know, back then, maybe not as much anymore, but back then it was, yeah, it was very something. Yeah. Um, your weak sister sets were known for being really intense and also incorporating uh, elements of physical performance, uh, elements of physical performance and demonstra- demonstration. I mean, you kind of referenced it in the special interest interview about physical violence. Maybe you replicated it like with you using your body as a conductor um, somehow for feedback, I saw videos of you, like without your shirt on holding some cables and I didn't know, I don't know what's going on actually still, but I I remember hearing a lot of people talk about it being like an amazing performance. 
Um, can you tell us a bit about how, your performances at that time? Sure. So, <laughs> where do I start? I don't know. Uh, I think I, I, I still don't exactly know how this affects the feedback loop, but I think it's essentially like, um, when you touch a quarter inch cable and it, you know, you hear a buzz, uh, except instead of touching the quarter inch cable directly, you were touching yourself or someone else who was holding a quarter inch cable and you yourself are holding a quarter inch cable, uh, tightly in your, mm -hmm. to your skin of your hand or, or any part of your body. And I mm -hmm. don't ask me, but something happens with electricity, you know, like you can have two people holding the cables and, you know, if you, for mm -hmm. instance, if you kiss each other mm -hmm. and close your eyes, like you will see flashes of light and feel like you're being slightly electrocuted. Um, so I wanted to do something with this. And so at that time, usually I would make it, sometimes it was violent. Sometimes it was more sexual or s s perverse or something. Um, I would have other mm -hmm. performers, um, join me. Um, it was, <laughs> it was bizarre. Um, <clears throat> I think some of them went well. I think I don't like a lot of them. I don't like to, I don't like that they are, you know, that I, I, I don't want to watch a video of it. I, okay. I, I can't, I can't watch it. <laughs> Does the performance element bother you? Like, like, well, I've certainly moved away from this. Uh, yeah, I, I would like, I, I could do it again, you know, and I've thought about doing it again and I did do it more recently. Mm -hmm. Um, and I used a knife to conduct and it was interesting, but it was kind of like a, just a bar show locally. And it wasn't really, okay. I didn't, I mean, I felt like I was being really, really weird and, but it wasn't the same feeling as like, um, performing to people who were like, uh, taking it up into, um, something more than just like being at a bar. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it's fun and it's weird, but. So, but you were using feedback loops with it. And I know that this is something you've stated and multiple times um, that feedback loops like within a mixer or within equipment are like your main sound source. And they kind of have been since the beginning. Is that, is that true? Yeah. 
even now even now yeah and it's it's quite amazing because i think you know you mentioned discovering feedback loops when you were young and i think that's what a lot of people when they first start messing around with noise they they figure out a feedback loop is something like pretty wild and chaotic and interesting that you can do with some basic gear and you can start making noise from it um however a lot of noise that gets made with feedback loops is really really bad and there are a lot of really really bad sounds that go along with it like if i i mean i haven't really explored it too much but every time i've tried to plug in some feedback loops you i always run into these really annoying like chirp 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 chirp, chirp, chirp like farting sounds and like mm-hmm. just stuff that screams like amateur noise to me exactly um, but your sound doesn't have that you i do recognize some sort of feedback loops and sort of like synthetic really chaotic surging electronics but it doesn't have that trademark sound that i think is obvious often quite mm, i don't know it's not good how how do you avoid that sound and how do you how long has it taken you to really dial that in well i i mean i still have issues with it but i have somehow developed techniques to avoid those familiar sounds. Mm-hmm. So what I'm constantly striving to do is just make something that doesn't sound familiar. And somehow when you work with these loops long enough, they change uh, it still fascinates me. I, I yeah. sometimes I feel that it's something that could easily be understood and like drawn out on a diagram. Like this is what happens. But sometimes I feel like it's just tapping into something that's just um, unexplainable and chaotic in the real sense where you can't calculate it. Um, yeah. Because things just happen sometimes, and it's like, where the fuck did this come from? Because yeah, yeah, and it makes me wonder: Do you have trouble? Have you ever have, do you ever have trouble during a live performance? Because that's a really all the time, uh, yeah, dangerous thing to rely on for live performance. Because I feel I feel like a lot of those things are dependent on things like the um, the 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 power of the building, like the the static of the room, like if there are radio signals nearby, like other electronics can really change uh, how feedback loops react and i imagine playing that live can be pretty um risky Mm -hmm. it definitely is and but it's interesting too like playing in other countries especially mm -hmm. southeast asia or japan and um, south southeast asia has a completely different power grid where it's like double the voltage it's like when i did body contact stuff there people were like really really scared that because i they they could tell that i didn't really know what i was doing and then uh like they they some people there really thought someone was gonna get like electrocuted and i was like i didn't think so but i guess i didn't really understand that it was a twice the power of the United States. Yeah. Are you always using the same gear for these loops? And do you, do you find that like um, the devices change over time? Because I've heard and I've kind of experienced that 
running feedback loops through mixers can kind of burn them out or kind of give them like channel burn and they can start to bleed over in other channels and kind of like, is that a real thing or have you experienced that the gear kind of changes over time using feedback loops? I hope so. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. And I hope so. I hope that channel burn is a thing. I like that. The sound of that, that term. Yeah. Uh, but I honestly don't know. Okay. Um, you kind of just touched upon, you said you didn't, you said you obviously didn't know what you were doing when you were at a show doing this, uh, performance with the electricity. Um, that also kind of makes, it's also something I kind of wanted to ask about is with your work and your aesthetic and specifically your recordings. Um, I don't mean this in a critical way, but sometimes I have the feeling that like on a technical level, you're doing things very, very like haphazardly and crudely and just kind of like getting something across in your, through your method. But like, then when I ask you about like, um, you know, like a technical aspect of it, of the recording or like, like when it comes to mastering or something like that, like you're like, I don't know. Or like, you know, you also told me that you're using quite like older software for a lot of things you do. Um, even with your like graphic design. Um, and I mean, a, a further step is I, I gave like recently the, the, the sacred violence noise recordings to grant to master. And he was like, there's so much digital like clipping here. There's so many like, you know, square, um, you know, square, uh, stepping in the thing. Like there's so much damage here, like that in a tr traditional, like, um, recording sense you really avoid, but I feel like this is also kind of a really big part of your aesthetic. Like these, these, um, artifacts that come with using the technology in this way. Is that something you're, making conscious choices about, or is that just kind of circumstantial? Um, <clears throat> it's both. It's, I mean, I think it's all the same. I think I just look at it as all interconnected. Um, I don't differentiate the recording process from the source. I think it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that you can do anything you want to make anything you want. Uh, yeah, there was, you know, there was something with coil, the band coil, and they did some project called ELPH, like elf or something. Right. I, I, you know, and they, it was all about like, uh, the the gear takes command and the gear becomes the artist mm -hmm. um the you know the circumstance and the technology is something more profound than just you know like i don't i, I don't want to have a uh i don't want like an apple laptop I don't think that that's going to serve my purposes of circumstance and whatnot, because this is like a, 
that's not the circumstance I want. I want to get, you know, a refurbished computer and um, crudely mess with it to make things sound broken um, and make things sound bad. And I think for a long time I was interested in um, uh, I don't know how to explain it, but sort of like the harshness of um, things like, um, <laughs> how do I explain? I don't know. Just the internet and culture and everything, you know? Um, so sometimes having like a digital clipped sound uh like what you're talking about that grant saw you know i think that that is sort of part of the message in some way where it's um yeah I don't, I, maybe i touched on something i don't know no that's great i, I think that I, as part of the message i think that's that's a a great point i think that's how i that's how i kind of read it as well and I think it's also, yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting how um, the overdriven or faulty or broken aesthetics of like analog technology is really celebrated and replicated, like even to this day, you know, um, right. the the distortion from analog tapes, the distortion from, you know, Xerox machines and how that changed any sort of or process, any sort of media is really celebrated, but there's also s other similar distortions and artifacts that come from other technologies. And there seems to be kind of a, um, like haphazard or, or um, random rejection of that in some, in some circles, like, but I think it's quite interesting that using digital clipping and digital artifacts, um, as a tool for harsh noise, because it is a harsh noise. I mean, on the one hand, it is about creating a crafted sound that you actually want. I don't think it's about just making something like ugly that's unpleasant, but it is about making something that is noise and is ugly through that. So I think using these digital means and exploring the waste and um, errors of, of, of other means like software is, is quite interesting. And, and I think that you blend that with like traditional harsh noise aesthetics. Right. I, I don't want to approach too far into like a art gallery because I'm sure there's like plenty of people doing this sort of thing, um, commenting on, you know, like the digital world, right. You know, I, I, but I'm also not a purist and I'm not going to use all analog stuff because yeah. that's not what I have in front of me. Um, but I want to make a unique sound that sounds like what I'm thinking about, but I also want to sound like macronympha. Yeah. So just, uh, keeping things balanced. Coming soon on white centipede noise, upper pot, hot lava shampoo CD.
you've you've mentioned also before that you do like use other noise projects as like direct influences like references where at the same time your sound is like totally singular and unique like nothing could you couldn't mistake what you're doing for like trying to rip off macroninfo or sound like macroninfo but i but you have you know even given word to the fact that you're trying to you're influenced by this record or that record trying to sound like that or kind of achieve that what are some other um you know what's your what's your thought process when when recording in terms of like influence from other noise music uh i guess it's just the starting point of but i mean no matter what no matter how hard i try would try if i were to try to sound exactly like someone you know it's always just going to sound like me Um, right everything i do it's just that's just how it is. I just, yeah. that's how I create things. It just has a personal touch. Uh, anything I do, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's always been like yeah. that since I was a kid. It's sort of, you know, like you could, you could pick out in a lineup, like which drawing from kindergarten was me, you know, sure. <laughs> something yeah. like this. Like, yeah. How much post-production goes into a worth recording? A lot. Um, Does it va- so it varies quite significantly from the live performance? Well, parts of the live performance are extracted, um, you know, in their entirety. Uh, but it's just placed among other things. Uh, mm-hmm. I do a lot of, I mean, I do a lot of cut-ups on post-production, Yeah, but it's not cut-up noise, obviously. Right. I mean, cut-up noise is a kind of a, I mean, it is a genre, but I think it's kind of a reduction. Any, any of that stuff is kind of a reduction. And also- I mean, If you're saying a person who makes noise and cuts it up is now a genre called cut-up noise, it's like, that's- but also cut up is maybe more of a like a live thing, right? Like you're supposed it is. to it's hard to do live. Yeah. But you're supposed to sort of do it live. Yeah. I think. I don't know. Uh I'm really interested in post production in all forms of music, especially like um extreme metal. Um like I love post-production. That's what I look for in like black metal or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. or any sort of metal or pop music. Like, yeah, I love post-production on all forms of stuff. So it's just how I yeah. approach things. And a lot of the a lot of the recordings are really have a composed they sound very edited but also but not just edited but very composed like they have a certain flow and um oftentimes a really really obscure flow and feeling um the sacred violence noise recording ornamented is a prime example i think of a piece that's really hard to like it takes some time to process and there's so much going on and the feeling of it's so so 
obscure, I guess. And that's the, I've heard that from many people that people are just like, wow, there's a lot to like unpack here. And there are some, a lot of decisions in terms of the, the structure of it that are very, very conscious and very, very unusual and interesting. Um, and you've also described that, you know, blinder, for example, was like, like a keyhole into your psyche. What is your motivation? What are, what is your driving force when you're composing, when you're, when you're editing, when you're putting a piece together, are there, are there concepts or ideas or themes that you're trying to convey like concrete things, or is it kind of more stream of conscious? Uh, I know that's kind of a vague question. I don't know how to ask that, but I mean, can you at least tell me some something about how you kind of put together these pieces? Well, I am making music, <laughs> uh, but I want it to be, uh, I want it to be confusing music <laughs> and I want it to speak to flow of consciousness, but in a way that is, um, confounding. So I think about the listener and I try to sort of, uh, sculpt something that is going to be irregular, um, and just enter someone's consciousness in, uh, in a, in a just confusing way. So that's how I edit it. I edit it to be, um, confusing. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, did I lose you? No, 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 no. I'm, 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 uh, I'm, I'm processing that. I'm just trying to think of what I, what I, where I want to, to go with that. Um, cause you, um, you've also said that you use harsh noise as a way to deprogram your brain. Oh yeah. And this is quoting, qu quoting from, from the, the special interest, uh, interview. You said you use harsh noise as a way to deprogram your brain away from things you did not want to make you tick. Mm. And that, you wanted to that you saw noise as kind of a cult of conditioning away from the norm, which is something you held about above all else at the time. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Well, I think that, you know, lately a lot of people you've been talking to and people talking about noise on platforms like this, you know, they'll mention and clump together uh, myself with projects like star and mm -hmm. I think that the similarity with our projects is definitely not sonic, but uh, the way that we present things and name things. And, you know, you, you, you're, you're really good at this, too. Um, it's just sort of a, 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 a path, you know. I, I, I remember either physically buying things or downloading things on SoulSeek or what have you. And, you know, it's so much of it had to do with the, the names of these projects and, um, just there, there is so many ideas behind noise. And when you search into noise, it really exposes you to a lot of 
a very diverse range of like what the world has to offer and what people in this world have decided to find interesting and communicate out to other people. I mean, I, to me, that's what noise is all about is like finding something that fascinates you and, um, just finding a way to sort of, uh, put, put a flag out and see if anyone else is going to want to examine this thing with you. Yeah. And yeah. But in terms of like deprogramming your brain or was there, was there a time where you were like struggling with something and we were really trying to, to make a forced change or, or trying to, yeah, there was, uh, I don't know what it is anymore. Cause I think I did it. I changed. So I don't, I don't remember what happened. <laughs> I think I, it worked. Okay. I think the, the material you gave me for the split, the weak sisters split with BTHN. Um, it was a reissue of a cassette you'd already released, but I, but I somehow remember that you sent me some additional tracks for my version and you told me they were recorded in a hospital. They were recorded in a pharmaceutical guinea pig study. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was getting paid to test drugs to see the half-life in in my body or our bodies to see how long these drugs would stay. So, uh, you know, I'd check in and get a lot of blood draws. You know, sometimes you have to wake up every few hours and get your blood drawn. Um, I think I've heard of uh, Relay for Death doing the same with one of their releases. Uh, mm. I think that they recorded inside a similar sort of thing. Um, yeah, just really, really dark vibes, big pharma, and weirdos who do this sort of thing. Mm. Uh, so, you know, sleeping in the same room with all these people who like come from all over the country to make money doing this. It was very, very bleak, good setting for recording. And there's some, there's some room noise in that recording. That's, that's in the study. Yeah. Wow. And I just, uh, maybe other people don't hear it the same way I do, but I just think it sounds very dark. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's dark in a different way. And that's something that you've, you, you, you really go for. And you told me also with sacred violent noise, um, sacred violence noise, it was like, an attempt to communicate somehow like these concepts of evil and ritual and industrialism in a different way than is traditionally presented. I feel like that's something you regularly do with, with your both sound and visual works. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I, I guess it's just a personal touch of it's like present trying to present those aesthetics in a different way that hasn't been already expelled in, you know, power electronics. Yeah. 
trying to do it more uh just the way I see things exactly instead of trying to do what Broken Flag already did. Right. Or whoever. Because you think there's a simply a different path that that isn't being Yeah, I think there's shown. there's a different side of things that aren't being shown. Yeah, I think there's a lot a lot more to show instead of it's a different perspective for sure. Like with from power electronics or something, there's always like this certain viewpoint, there's certain seat that you're sitting in looking at it. Um, instead of, you know, there's so many different positions you could be in, in this power structure. Um, and just, yeah, just trying to take a different seat instead of like this, yeah, it's just a it's just a different different row of seats. Mm. Are these topics of darkness and and violence and evil like the main things that you're interested in exploring with Worth, or or does it go into other directions as well? Yeah, especially now it's starting to go in other directions, but I think it's all interrelated. It's all just the world. It's yeah. Just, the world. Yeah. So there's always power structures, no matter what sort of interest you're getting into or trying to look at more closely, even if it's something more about beauty mm-hmm. than, you know, darkness or whatever, you know, what's the difference or yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's all the same. It's all connected. It's just the world. This episode of White Centipede Noise Podcast is brought to you by Sun Hing Lung. Located on Henry Street between Madison and Catherine, Sun Hing Lung is the premier purveyor of steamed rice noodle below the Manhattan Bridge. Sun Hing Lung offers a wide variety of steamed rice noodle rolls, including but not limited to pork, beef, chicken, dried shrimp, corn, plain, Chinese sausage and mixed vegetable, fish ball, egg, watercress, and more. For 50 cents or less, the extra hunger customer can add additional egg or pork to their rice roll. Sun Hing Lung also offers bulk availability of steamed rice noodle for the customer who likes to prepare food at home, in addition to bulk availability of two styles of dumplings and three styles of tofu. Further, Sun Hing Lung offers fresh homemade cold or hot soy milk, as well as herbal teas. And don't get us started on the desserts. Open from 7.30 a.m. to around 4.30 in the afternoon, seven days a week. Come on by and enjoy fresh and satisfying steamed rice noodle and more at Sung Hing Lung, located at 58 Henry Street, between Madison and Catherine. A full stomach awaits. Tell me about your trip to Thailand. Um, why did you go there and what was your what was your goal of going there and what did you do while you were there in relation to Worth? I just always wanted to go there since I was young. And then once I started getting into... Uh, culinary arts i just had to go mm-hmm. had to get away had to take a vacation that's a cheap vacation but when i went there the first time i met someone who wanted to do an artist residency for me mm. so i did that and i went back like the next year and i spent about a month 
there. In the residency? Yeah, pretty much. I spent like a week in Bangkok before heading up north. And were you working on worth-related stuff or, or something different? It was all worth. Um, but the person who hosted the residency is an artist himself. Mm-hmm. So I was somewhat working with his performance art stuff to an extent. Uh, it's basically just following him around and living with him and his wife in rural Thailand. Cool. Um, they're, they're really cool people. Um, if you know, if you, if you talk about the liner, the, um, it's not liner notes. How would you say <laughs> on the back of sacred violence, violence, noise, um, like, yeah, my host, Chumpon, he is the person who said that the greatest artists of our time were the 9-11 hijackers. I got that from him. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just yeah. hanging out with him and talking about everything. Yeah. That was kind of around the time when worth was starting to resurface and really be active, wasn't it? Or was that, was that before or after the blinder LP? That was right before, uh, before you released it or before you recorded it. I was pretty much done editing it. It was all recording. It was all recorded. I might've touched up a few things when I got back, but it wasn't released yet. No, Mm -hmm. I released it. About nine months after I got back. Okay. And I feel like that was something that broke open the floodgates. You had been um, pretty inactive for quite a few years since Weak Sisters kind of slowed down. You'd, you'd done a couple of things as worth, like it seems like once every few years. Um, but with that LP, it just like broke up in a floodgates for um, I think exposure of the project and also your activity. Was that a, like a calculated move to, to do it that way? I guess you could say that. Um, I, I don't. Cause that LP really made a big impact. And I think you probably knew it was going to, cause it was really, yeah. Um, really special and really different and um, also came at a time when there wasn't a whole lot like that. I mean, there is nothing like that going on, but there wasn't a whole lot of activity in general. And that was kind of like, it seemed like you, you, you obviously you put a lot of work into the recording and the presentation, but you like, you put a lot into that LP because you knew that would be your like, like a, like a calling card because that went out and that like, woke a lot of people up, I think, to what you were doing. And then since then, it's been really like pretty regular and consistent and, and elevating work. I don't know how, how intentional that was, but I think that's how, how I see it. And I think that kind of ushered in a new era in some way for even American noise. I mean, not single-handedly necessarily, but that was like a, a big part of it. 
Um, so I don't know. I mean, I don't have really, I don't have a question associated with that, but I think that's um, that's something I've observed. And since then, um, I wonder as you do more and more releases, do you see like an expiration date for that product? Do you do you try to achieve something with each new release and do you ever see the like the possibility that you're going to feel like okay i've i've said what i wanted to say and i and i'm going for another break or do you see that as kind of something that has a more continuous wellspring of of motivation and source well it's set a bar for myself so Mm -hmm there was definitely a point where I realized that as apart from weak sisters and even the first worth stuff that came before blinder, mm-hmm. uh, I, I had to just use only the best stuff. So from blinder on, I just realized I just, it just has to be really, really good. Yeah. I don't know what it was about my youth that made me sort of compromise and be like, all right, well, yeah, I'll just use this. Is that what you feel you did? I think sometimes, yeah. I, I, I don't think everything is that great from sort of the extensive discography of OPC and weak sisters. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what that apathy was exactly, but there's, there's also good stuff, but yeah, sometimes sure. it's like just fulfillment. Um, okay. Some, you know, you, you, you talk about this sometimes with, um, or try to approach the question of uh, quantity versus quality. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I could add right now that, you know, uh, some of this lies on the labels too, mm-hmm. because the labels need to um, distinguish with their artists uh, what, what, what is worth putting out and what is not worth putting out. Because sometimes people fall into a trap of just fulfilling something and feeling like they need to like get something done, which is true. They need to get something done and they need to work through this. But the label is actually the person who needs to say, wait a minute, like, no. Yeah, I agree. I really agree. And I think, um, I've had, I mean, I've done that numerous times, uh, where I, as a label had, to just based on my personal taste or judgment of the quality, whatever, you know, ask for some, something new from someone that I've already, you know, agreed to work with that I want to work with. And then, you know, they'll submit something and sometimes it won't be to my, I don't want to say standards because it's not, it's not even about like objective quality, but just like to my liking. And I, it sometimes sucks to have to do because, you know, you, you can offend people and, you know, 
people put a lot of work into what they release typically. And, you know, but I think it's, it's really important. I think that's the point of a label is to, to curate. And I think I, I kind of shudder at the fact that some labels will just literally release what you give them. Like once you, once you've agreed to, once you've agreed to release something by an artist, um, then it's set in stone and you can't and you release whatever they deliver. And I think that's not the right way to do it. No, you, the, I don't think that's beneficial yeah. for anyone. I think, I mean, I think that's, 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 that's bad for everyone. I mean, there are, it, it goes back and forth too, because sometimes it is like as a label operator, sometimes you realize that, this isn't what you want, but it's what you asked for. And this is this person. And it is, you might, yes, you know, so there's that aspect of it, but I'm just saying the artist needs to realize that you're adding another person to the equation. And yeah. Um, who should be the final check? I think like, you know, yeah. And on the other yeah. hand is it, it, I would also hate to be, um, you know, I've never done this that I say, Oh, like make it more like this or make it more like that. Like, I don't want to be, um, making artistic decisions at all, or like, right. you know, trying to influence what comes out. But I think I, I think a label should be the one to either say, you know, yes or no. And, and, and should be honest. Coming soon on white centipede noise, Jason Krumer, Ruth CD. back to your work when you do new releases do you do you have a specific um goal in mind for them or like does it just kind of evolve organically into something that it becomes like sonically or artistically as a statement i think there's forethought for sure Yeah, there's definitely like, there's always, but it's always kind of the same. There's always an unachievable goal. Like I can't mm -hmm. really unlock the sound that's in my mind and the right. idea that's in my head, but I just try as much as I can and take the falls where I do, mm -hmm. you know, compromise with, oh, well, I can't find the image I exactly want, or I can't yeah. make the sounds I exactly want, but I just get as close as I can. And when it's close enough to what I had in mind, then that's it. That's done. And does that leave you kind of thirsty for, uh, for trying more? Yeah. Like this kind of unattainable element of it. Yeah, I guess it has. I mean, it kind of feels like I've been doing that for at least 10 years. Yeah. Um, do you consider Worth to be a power electronics project? 
for some reason, I feel like I've heard that association. Yeah. Or, or and weak I, sisters, and I, weak sisters. A lot of people said weak sisters was right. Yeah. Electronics. That was, I don't know about that. That was like a new mentality. Yeah. It's like something, something different, I guess. You could maybe maybe see it as a evolution off of things like yellow tears and this mm-hmm. new sort of idea about power electronics. I don't know. It changed. It's but I would have to say no, <laughs> firmly okay. no. Like okay, yeah. I I don't. There was something that happened with power electronics where it kind of just fell off the tracks and sort of became like open to interpretation in ways that were sort of cringy. (laughs) What do you mean by that? I mean, it's, it's the culture of, of like, where where the where I use this word cringe, mm-hmm. which everyone knows what it is online. Sure, but it's it's deeper than well, which that. elements are you which which elements are you referring to? Or which direction are you referring to? Uh, it's like I, I it's just like any sort of depiction of like sex that like strays from the, the, you know, the norm or whatever. I don't, I don't know what it is. It's, it's like, it's, it's some sort of like psychosexual aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, but It's, it's just not PE. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's not that it's not in that chair and yeah. it needs to be in that chair. Yeah. Do you think your work is understood as it should be? Like, do you think people interpret it in the way you hope they do? Um, no, but that's just how it is. You know, everyone has their own objective reality and interpretation of things. I constantly see my things misinterpreted, but maybe that's the goal to be misinterpreted. I think it's, I think it's a, I think it's a side effect, especially when you, I think, I think when you make, I would say your work is art in the real sense of art. Like I, like I understand it and that, and I think that's uh, also kind of comes part and parcel with, with true art is that it often gets misunderstood and it's not easy to, to decipher. It's not for being deciphered, but yeah, I, I do feel like that's maybe the case. I, I wanted to kind of bring this up and I, I, I would really like to interview Sam from star and things like that. Um, because I, I really love star. Well, I love star actually very much. And, you know, I get the sense that people are misinterpreting um, 
what he's doing with that product and that label. Like it gets consistently called weird. Like, <laughs> like it is definitely weird and it has a humorous element. Like it has like, it does have a puzzling element, but I think that's like, that's the beginning. I think that's like, um, I'm wondering if, if it's frustrating to be like associated with this, like so-called like wave of weird, harsh noise that is kind of, uh, happening that, that, or, you know, left field stuff. And I, I kind of, I sometimes, I just feel like that's being a little bit not fully, um, digested. And I think you get kind of lumped in with that, um, that style too. Yeah. I mean, it's all weird. You know, how, how, how it's not just weird. I mean, it's not just weird. Right. Exactly. I mean, every, every noise tape that comes out is weird. (laughs) It's really, really weird. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's probably weirder than myself and star, like any given tape, you know? Sure. It's weird as hell. Yeah. (laughs) Coming soon on White Centipede Noise, Altar of Flies, Otterblick, Triple LP. touring and you also toured europe in 2018 um and we saw each other then we played together in in warsaw what were your impressions of uh playing in europe versus in the united states i don't know if it was just new experiences or something else i yeah it was just uh, european i guess <laughs> it's just my first time experiencing that uh was was there how was the energy how was the reception and like the organization i guess in some ways it was taken almost more seriously than the United States. Mm-hmm. Like, it's almost like people were like, you know, keeping me in check and trying to keep me in check and being like, wait, wait, you know, whereas in the United States, it's sometimes it's, it's a little bit more loose. And what do you mean? Keep you in check? Just 
you know, I just, sometimes I felt that people were kind of like, Hey, you're, you're here for, for a reason. You need to be doing this right now. Okay. Or something. And whereas in the States, not to say that that's a bad thing, but in the States, sure. you're just with your friends. Yeah. And, um, it's a little bit more, um, yeah, a little more casual. Yeah. And I, I think also trying to remember the sound systems too, because I often will bring up the sound systems. If I talk about different countries, like mm -hmm. for instance, in Japan, that was way, you know, that was like a casual show with a sound system that was one of the loudest I ever played on. Yeah. So it's good to see like the, I mean, yeah, Berlin, Warsaw, maybe Berlin more than Warsaw. But I mean, that was really loud and really, really good sound systems. Mm -hmm. And you don't get that as much here. There's, it's I almost know. like there's not as much money over here for this kind of thing. And over there, sure. it seems like there's um, more of a basis, which maybe is where the more professionalism and less casual thing comes from. Mm -hmm. It's like this thing is happening right now. Um, there's work put into this and you know, you need to be, sure. be on, yeah. Your, yeah. on your <laughs> game. And yeah. Yeah. Interesting. But, um, yeah. And I'm not putting that down and I'm not saying that you're not on your game in the United States. It's just a different hallway to get yeah. there. You yeah. know, it's just a yeah. different, it's just a different passageway to get into the zone yeah yeah for sure i think that's a big difference yeah in general between europe and the united states um it seems a lot more yeah it's 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 an end to the means it seems like a lot more um loose in the united states but i think that somehow makes things work better in a lot of ways like just in general not not referring to noise shows or anything like that but just like a more flexible, relaxed attitude kind of makes the end result a little bit easier somehow to get to. Well, yeah. I mean, it's a good, it's a good setup to be, to say like, we are not friends <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> it's like, this is not why we're here. We're not here yeah. to be friends. Yeah. Like I came here to see this. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is good. It's important sometimes. Um, so you, you've been doing your label pros nag. Is that correct? How I'm pronouncing it? Yeah. I might start saying Naj or Naj, but, um, I always say nag, but I think okay. you can say it anyway. Okay. Except maybe naggy. Don't say naggy. naggy. Yeah, no, I wouldn't say that. Yeah. Um, and you've been releasing out except for the blinder LP. You've been releasing it. Well, no, not you've done a couple of tapes or at least one, um, but you're releasing primarily CDRs. Um, I'm sure you're aware of the, the pitfalls of CDRs. It's been, you know, discussed the whole um, disc rot element that, you know, after 10 years, they might 
stop working. Um, but you, I'm sure you're very aware of this and you still choose to put them out. What's your reason for working with CDR instead of uh, like CDs, professional pro press CDs and glass masters? Um, I hope they stop working. I hope they just like turn into dust in your hand. Like I really don't care. <laughs> okay, good. So, so permanence isn't important for you. I mean, obviously anyone can make it permanent. You can just yeah. like put it on your computer or whatever. It's yeah, exactly. It's not about that. It's, it's just about a place and time. It doesn't have to last forever. I am very interested, though, in glass mastering and seeing what that's like. But so far in my experience, um, the masters on to CDR, there's it's I mean, it's definitely a more um, precise uh, transfer than a tape. It's it's almost exact. It's like ninety nine percent the master. And maybe it works with also the sort of thing I do with clipping uh, out stuff like yeah. uh, maybe there's something to that with CDRs where it just transfers yeah. directly and there's no um, fuss about these sort of things. Um, but yeah, I, I've never heard of there being any issues um, or any difference with sound quality or transfer of sound to see just, I've never heard of that being an, an issue with glass master CDs at all. Um, you know, I don't, I, I could be wrong that, that that's not an issue, but I, I've never heard of that. When I was referring to, you know, um, Grant and what he observed, um, that's more of a, like a, like he's looking at the, like from an audio um, right. processing standpoint. But I think actually for the process of, I think you could press anything that you can burn to a CD. I think you can press on a, on a glass measured CD as far as I know. But um, yeah, I, I was just curious about that. I, I think it's just it's a notable um, notable difference. It's a notable stand to take, and I th I think it's a very valid one. I think you know that not everything has to last forever. Yeah. And but there's also, I mean, there's no evidence yet that it won't. Right. It, it probably will degrade, but sure. When I don't know. Yeah. I would I would like to do. I mean, I will do other things, but I'm very, I, I like doing the CDRs for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'll probably do more vinyl and I might do pro press CDs eventually. Maybe, maybe, but mm -hmm. I really don't see anything wrong with the CDRs. I like You them. can let other people do pro press CDs for you of your work. Do, do other people do? You can let other labels do the progress. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be some. Yes. And with your label, you you do all the artwork, and you've, as far as I can notice, it's kind of been since the resurgence of Worth with the Blinder LP that you've been really, really active um, with visual art and, and collages. Is that accurate? Have you been doing that a lot before then? I think I worked on like the collage for blinder as long as I worked on the, the music, which was like four years. Mm. And that was sort of the same sort of floodgate thing where I started working with collage a lot more after blinder and that sort of set a bar, except 
I think my collage mm-hmm. skills got a lot better than the blinder LP. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas I, the noise hasn't necessarily gotten as much improvement as my okay. visual art skills. Cause that's a newer thing that I sure started doing. Yeah. What you seem to have a pretty unique process to making the collages and they look very different than your typical noise collage. What, what's your general process for, for, for creating those? Are you, are you photographing them or are you? Uh, it's all cut out. Um, it's really hard to photograph them and document them because my scanner isn't big enough and you can't use a roll through scanner at a, Mm-hmm. at a business because mm-hmm. it's all different levels and yeah. break. Um, but my process is it takes a really long time. Like I collect source materials. Where do you usually find your source materials? I have a ton of books. I, I usually thrift books um, mm-hmm. and just f- finger through them at the stores and see like, what I mean at this point, I know what kind of images to look for. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a very similar process to the noise of worth, um, where I sort of collect a lot of things that I know I want to use, and then I piece them together. Mm-hmm. But it still relies mostly on the source not as and but i mean you have to find the way to glue it together but it it's all about the strength of the original um piece that you're using yeah yeah i I see them as very interconnected it's Mm -hmm. like the same process exactly it's just sound and visuals but for the pros and ag stuff, it's not as, I don't do as much collage for those, you know, I, I, those are pretty crude, um, sure. on the computer, very, very influenced by solipsism, mm-hmm. the self abuse side label. Yes. I just love that aesthetic. Um, yeah, it's just crude stuff, but that still conveys something, I guess. And what about writing? Because you did a you did liner notes, but really more like texts. You know, it's it's prose uh, accompanying the the music um, on the Sacred Violence Noise release. You have you've written texts about each piece that's the first time that I've seen that from you. I don't know if you've done that before in other releases, but it seems to be the first time and it's quite interesting. Is it, is writing something you do often? Have you done that before? No, this is the only time I've ever done anything like that. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I mostly wanted to do it just for the way it looks <laughs> just to have. So it's like, you see that like, Oh, there's actually liner notes and 
Yeah, I mean, I put a lot into it, but it was, yeah, yeah I mostly just wanted to have a record that had writing with it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just for the, yeah. the way it... It's very interesting, though. You should continue it, because it was, it, it, you know, I think it... Yeah, I'd do it again. It offers a, another level of either insight or confusion to what you're doing. It doesn't has to be... I like uh, something that explains what you're doing, but it just adds another layer of of input and, and, and of expression to this to this art. And I think um, not many people do that. And I think that was pretty pretty interesting for a lot of people. I mean, it was very interesting for me, but I think that's been something that's resonated with a lot of people who who, who follow your stuff. I know Eric nice Newstrand was very like mm-hmm. very impressed by it just the fact that you took the time to do this and make this step and i think that's something um that i agree with him would be great to see with more artists that just yes bring in more more elements of the thing is art to their to their work it used to happen a lot more i think of like nocturnal emissions i don't know why non comes to mind i don't know if non Mm. ever actually did that but it reminds me of that sort of time when like non was doing stuff or yeah, early and early industrial. It seemed like sometimes there would actually be writings accompanying with that. And I just hadn't seen that in so long. And I just felt like there needs to be something like that for the people who are exploring into noise. Now, like they need, they need uh, like a, a signpost, something to examine in that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, so it's kind of, uh, it was, it was basically a decision I made to do mostly for nostalgia. Mm. Yeah. And the way it looks and feels when you have that and, Yes. Coming soon on White Centipede Noise, The New Boyfriends, the fourth season CD. top five noise releases of all time yes <laughs> okay i pulled some stuff out prior to the interview <clears throat> uh the haters cultivating calamity 
I started collecting the haters very early on. And, you know, that was my circumstance that I was actually able to find a lot of hater stuff in, in Colorado at record stores or online. Um, I, yeah, so, but this is probably the best one. And it also has a lot of text accompanying it that is very confusing text. <laughs> uh, I just noticed that right now. Uh, but yeah, this sounds so good. Easily one of my favorite albums of all time. Second would be um, Runzelstern and Gurglestock. Mm -hmm. uh, Runzelstock and Gurglestern. Mm. Um, cool. Yeah. Andy Ortman, Nihilist. This album is so fucked up. Yeah. Does it have a lot of those gagging sounds on it? I think it has like spanking. There's like a woman involved. So it's kind of like the uh, asshole snail dilemma. Uh -huh. Except I like this one more. Hmm. It's a little bit more organized. Yeah. Cool. Um, I think I have more than five here. That's <laughs> <laughs> all good. Um, so, uh, Golden Serenades, Testicle mm -hmm. Hazard Split. Cool. Segerhuva. This amazing album, Morning Star, Evening Fix, just has this sort of like um, solar. <laughs> pagan thing going on. Yeah. But in a perverted way or something. Yeah. I don't know how to read into it. But the noise yeah, on this is I'm sure you like this album. Yes, I do. It's like much. so bright and colorful. Yes. And harsh. Yes, yes, exactly. It's one That's of the best noise it. LPs. Yeah. Yeah, and I mostly chose vinyl. That's cool. That's yeah, great. so it's like a It'll kind of a rare thing, but <laughs> it's it would be hard for me to talk about my five best, yeah, without going to the early two thousands USA noise scene. Mm -hmm. So I chose um, Secret Abuse, Violent Narcissus. Cool. Which is, I mean, it's kind of harsh. It's kind of PE, but it's also like guitar and it's very pretty. I mean, Secret cool. Abuse is just my favorite thing that Witcher did. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I've got to include that scene from that mm -hmm, time. Definitely. Yep. Yeah, and you were at, that was that was your scene too. I mean, right. That's uh, you know I I think we could have even talked a lot more about what you've seen all through this time. Yeah, you know, just in terms of all the things you've observed and been a part of. But sorry, but that's a di yeah. digression. Continue we, we, on. We touched on it a little bit. 
yeah with sam so definitely um so that's three no that's four that's four. Oh man <laughs> right I, I have two lps in my hand i don't know which one to good yeah give us six okay uh bizarre uproar lily the flesh cool i'm really glad someone reissued this well it was also felt in violence but yeah another label as well and yeah this is just an insane atmosphere on this album uh yeah it's not their harsh work, but I also love, I could easily choose their harsh work. That stuff is just yep. so filthy and harsh. Yeah, <laughs> it's, absolutely. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. But yep. this one is, I I won't go into the story of whatever, how it's whatever VHS that's. Yeah. I don't know much about that, honestly, but I know that I love this album. <laughs> Yeah, I really think it's one of the best things I've ever heard. Wow. And then the Eric Lund hands two split. I think it's called cool. Death Loop Tape Cut. Yep. Yeah, it's awesome. just this really paranoid sound, very of its time. Yeah, people know Wait. this is yeah. this is good stuff. Nice, cool. <clears throat> Now tell me your uh, your favorite things of the past year. Five things, favorite five releases. Okay, these were recent releases. Um, Nori Vari. Yes. Yeah, I really like that. Outside, huh? What's that? On outside, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's Finish. a good tip. Finnish artist though, right? Yep. Yeah. Really like this. Really fit my mood. Mm-hmm. Um, Women of the SS on Bacteria Field. I mm-hmm. don't think this is a reissue. I think it's all new material that was unreleased. Yep. It's a very long tape. It's like an hour long. Yeah, this yep. is yeah cool really did good by doing that i'm really looking Mm -hmm. forward to the lace syndicate that he's putting out oh i didn't know that it's great yeah that's also unreleased material so super yeah he's doing good work there um (laughs) i actually had I don't know why I, I really thought I thought this out, but I have like older stuff here, but also, um, the split between HCOD and Israel Atria. Mm-hmm. This is really good. Dirty. Um, kind of like Alphamania style. Postmortem. Yeah. Really well done. Uh, yeah. this is one of my favorite things I got recently for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cool. So that's three. Um, I thought I was prepared, but I'm not. So off the top of my head, um, two more. Man, I might need a second to think about it. That's fine. 
Oh yeah, no, I know. Uh, slacking. Oh, of mortal spoils. Luke cool. Tandy mentioned this. Yes, I I have heard a lot about it from him. That sounds really good. I need to check it out. Yeah, this seems like something that would have been released on self abuse in the early two thousands. Mm. It's it's so good. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Slacking. If you're listening to this, please get in touch with me. Yeah, I can send him your way. I'm yeah, in touch thanks. with him as well. Uh, as well as Luke Tandy. Yeah. yeah. Um, one more. One more. Um, hmm. <laughs> Is that your entire collection right there? No, it's dispersed throughout the whole house, the yeah. whole apartment. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Can be something you released. I'm not against that. I think people think that's weird to do, but I think at the same time, every label, every label should be releasing their favorite music. So I don't think that's like a, that's a violation. Yeah, no, I'm not opposed to that at all. Um, but which one? <laughs> uh, it's interesting because. Oh, wait, 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 was, wait, wait, wait. Okay. No, this is too old. This is too old. I was going to say Kieran Aurora, um, the one on Tord and Lude. Yeah. Is that that's too amazing. old? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. I'll, I'll count that. I, I, I don't, I think that was 20, I think that was 2020. And to me, that's, still I think it was 2019. Game. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe. But that, I mean, yeah. The, that's amazing that the last the one you put out also is so good right I, I yeah he yeah he's great okay that's then that's I'll count that I do think it's interesting though um there's been so much noise coming out in the past since the pandemic hit especially and I will say objectively a lot of really 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 good stuff but people still have a hard time, like, like, uh, picking like five out, I think. <laughs> yeah. And like, I, I, I don't know if that speaks to our brains, how we process this stuff. Cause it's like, you know, you can even go through like tronics alone, what they released in the past, um, you know, two years or whatever. And it's like, there's so much good stuff in there. Um, but it's, it's good that you're actually like thinking about like the top things, but I think it's, it's, uh, it's a challenge for a lot of people, I think, to really come up with the, those those top fives. Yeah. Pissoir Rouge, Asphyxia Apathios. Over the last years, 
Pissoir Rouge has established himself as Germany's best-known dirty little secret. The hard-working maniac from the eastern slums has created his very own vile and hyper-aggressive blend of power electronics violence and harsh noise chaos. Brought to you by Dunkelheit Produktionen, quality label based in Germany, your source for occult music and more, fast shipping and handling of your order, big catalog full of ambient, harsh noise, power electronics, and extreme metal, CD, vinyl, tape, and merchandise. We accept all regular payment methods. Online shop in seven languages. www.dunkelheit-shop.com Okay, man. Well, um, we're about ready to wrap it up, I think, but is there anything you'd like to add to the people? Say to the people before we get out of here? No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, well, thanks. Um, Have a good rest of your day and talk to you later. Yeah, great to talk to you.